0: So what exactly is self-talk or self-image? Well, statistics have proven that you think about 30,000 different things a day. And out of those 30,000 things, 21,000 of them are usually negative. And they tend to be about yourself, your concerns, your insecurities, your comparisons. Now, that is Unbelievable to me because I'm a pretty positive person. But then when I sit down and I think about it, you're right. I am comparing subjectively. Like it's just in my subconscious. I don't even realize that, you know, sometimes I think what I'm doing is not good enough or not powerful enough, or I need to alter this, this, and that, or she dressed better than me, or she talks better than me, or whatever it is. And that's all affecting the way that you see yourself. Now, I started working with Heather Sumlin at the beginning of my Miss California journey, but this is not a passion podcast. This has to do with you, the everyday woman who is looking to help build confidence, build that self-talk, that self-image, and is having issues with comparison and that you just don't understand even where to begin on this journey of confidence. That's where we step in. Heather is amazing. When I say amazing, I mean like, Amazing, bold, italicized underline with like spaces in between. She's incredible. And when I started competing, I didn't see any value in finding a mental management coach. I put a lot of money toward pageant coaches, stylists, physical fitness, but not mental management because I didn't really understand what the purpose was and why it was so important. Well, Heather came into my life as a referral and I found out she is incredibly successful and has worked with people from all over the world. Her father was a gold medalist in the Olympics and ended up developing this mental management systems company. And she now works as the master level mental management instructor, instructor, excuse me, specializing in self-image training, goal setting, interview preparation, as well as subjective graded competitive outlets for clients competing in a variety of sports and industry. So her clients have won world championships, Miss USA titles, national and state level competitions, any sort of athletic competition you name it. She's received international awards, global recognition and has over 15 years of experience. She supports all of her clients with an extensive knowledge of mental management system and is so upbeat, motivating, fun, encouraging as the director of performance programs she has seen it all and she also just happens to be one of the most down to earth people i know i tell you she changes the game when it comes to mental management and this is not about figuring out a way to have the perfect on stage question this is really a journey in figuring out a way to elevate your confidence and celebrate what you already have within yourself and bring that to the table regardless of what you're doing, whether it's a job interview, day-to-day operations, a Miss USA competition, or the Olympics. She can do that for you. So strap in. Super powerful message, long message, necessary message. And the audio is a bit tricky, but I promise it's going to be worth your time and worth the listen. So grab a notebook because you're going to need to take some notes. Heather someone is absolutely amazing. Let's dive in. All right, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is your host Kelly Hall. I have a very special guest today, Heather Sumlin with Mental Management Systems. She's kind of a, a no wall wizard behind all things mental management. Heather, welcome to the show. So excited to have you.
1: Thank you. I've never been called a wizard before. That's so exciting.
0: You kind, you kind of are. To be honest. <laughs> like anybody who starts working with you, our minds are like that emoji with a brain is like lifted off, like completely blown, (laughs) because you just address all of these things that we don't like just people don't think about on a day to day basis. So we're like strolling through life. I mean, I never thought about mental management. And I'm 27 years old, and I've gone through a lot and, you know, done my own strength and discipline tests and taken leadership courses at the Naval Academy. And then I work with you. And I'm like, Well, crap, I've been doing (laughs) things all wrong my whole life. So so I'm very grateful to know you. Um, Heather, I know you and I have had a personal relationship for a while now working together. But for those who maybe have, well, one, never heard of you, never heard of mental management, why don't you just give us a little background on how this all came to fruition?
1: So it's a really interesting story because mental management was developed by my father. The system that he created, he used to compete at world and Olympic levels in his sport. My dad was an Olympic rifle shooter. And the, his first trip to the Olympic Games, actually, fun story. When he was little, he w- they were studying the Olympics in school, I think about sixth grade. And my father was slow, short, and uncoordinated. So like, no kid was going to pick him on any team back then. Oh, And so they're studying the Olympics. And my dad's super intrigued by it because you could be the best in the world at something. And that would be so cool because he'd always been you know, below average at everything physical. And when the teacher's talking about it, she says, you know, I bet someone in this class could be an Olympic champion someday. I wonder who'd have the best chance. And the kid sitting next to my dad stood up and said, teacher, I don't know who'd have the best chance, but I know for sure who'd have the worst chance and pointed at my father. <gasps> no. Yes. But, but see, here's the, here's the deal. That was a turning point in his life because yes, we could assume that that kid's a bully and that was really not a very cool thing to say or do. But what my dad did is he went home and he told his parents, he says, I'm going to the Olympics. I'm not going to let someone else define what is possible for me. I'm going to choose that. And of course I don't let my grandparents really thought, Hey, he's going to go to the Olympics. I think they thought he was just talking, but they encouraged him, you know, read about it, learn about it, whatever. And a couple years later he was introduced to the sport of rifle, which is the only sport in the Olympics where you're trying to make the body stop instead of trying to make it go, which for a kid that spent all his time in the dugout, like just waiting to be able to go and play and said, on the bench in basketball and was never really much of an active person. This sport was a benefit to him because he could stand still all day long. And and that's all you have to do really to be able to be the best shooter in the world. You have to be able to stand still and you have to be able to be very, very accurate. Um, and so it took a lot of discipline and a lot of hard work and he made it to the Olympic games in 1972 and which was really awesome. But, and he was capable. Like he had the technical skill. To be an Olympic champion that year, he was training with his partner. His teammate was the current world champion. No one could beat him on the planet. And my dad's wow. scores were in line and sometimes better than his teammates' scores in practice. And my father thought that it was very possible that he could win the Olympics. But what he didn't anticipate and what he didn't prepare for was how he was going to feel while he was there. The pressure that he was going to feel Um, the fact that he wasn't going to be able to control his mind under that pressure because he didn't anticipate it and he didn't know how to mentally train. So he came home defeated. He brought home a silver, which is great, but it wasn't because he shot to his best ability. It was just because maybe at that time, Americans were really good and we were dominating, and he just happened to shoot well enough to earn a silver, but he didn't shoot well enough to earn the medal that he wanted. So he interviewed Olympic champions to find out what they were doing differently about the mental game. And he created mental management based on that. So it's the study of wow. winners. And that's kind of how it all started, which is pretty exciting. That's
0: crazy. Grew up with
1: an Olympic champion as a dad. It's kind of cool. Because he went on and he won. He won the Olympics in 1976. He won the world championships in 1974. In fact, if you come to our office, there is a, a plaque with all of his world championship medals. From that one world championships, he won 15 medals. Eight of them are gold. So, he, be- wow. he became the number one ranked shooter in the world at that point. It's pretty cool. Wow. That pretty
0: That cool. is, see, mind blown. <laughs> the emoji where my head is off. That is so crazy because I didn't even know that background story. You know, how, like, that one moment can define him and then it just go on to pursue or pursue such amazing things. It's so crazy. And I think it's even more awesome, not only to have a dad, obviously, that's an Olympic champion, but – to have kind of background in mental management as you're raising children Mm -hmm. and like having that research done from all those winners and how they, you know, went on to excel in all of their different, whether it's athletics or their communities. That's really awesome to grow up in. And then you're doing the same thing, obviously, because you have kids and you're passing those tools on to them. And not only them, but your clients, all your amazing clients. So now, you know, you've – he helped develop this company and you've established this program. And I know that you have several books and audio books. But, you know, what is – Biggest thing you're seeing that changed the tide with mental management when people start working with you, kind of what's the first area that you focus on?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because um, I work with a lot of women, and it depends on what sport that they're participating in and what the needs are. I customized training based on the needs of the client. However, we have the system is the system um, mental management basically takes the three mental processes that performance is a function of. You have your conscious mind, which is your thoughts, your subconscious mind, which is your skills and your self image, which is your belief in your ability. Um, it's what make you, makes you act like you, your habits and attitudes. So these three mental processes need to work together. They need to be balanced. And our goal is to help our clients become balanced and, What that basically means is your conscious mind needs to be focused on something that you determine that you want to focus on. You need to control thought um, before, during, and after a task. You need to be in control of what you choose to think about. The environment will give you unlimited things to think about. But if you are focused on what the environment is giving you, then your mental game is a variable. Right. But if you decide, hey, I know what I want to think about before I walk into an interview, before... Um, I walk into a game or or compete in a game or in a situation, then you're in control of thought, your environment is not. And I think that that's one area I think people need to work on when they come and see us. But for women, what I've noticed is self-image is an issue. And it's an area that we know we need to work on. There's a lot of women that would say, hey, I struggle with my self-image or I struggle with self-worth or self-esteem. To me, all of that it all falls in line with the self-image, your belief in your ability, your belief in you. And we have a different self-image about everything that we do. Um, And so really tackling that and trying to grow self-image instead of slow it down is is what I tend to focus on the most when I'm working with clients.
0: And I definitely want to dive in more to women specifically, because like you said, self-image, self-worth is huge. Whether you're going into an interview, participating in a competition, or you're just a mom navigating obstacles day to day, you know, you have to be able to address all of those. But i got to say personally, when I was working with you for Miss California USA, I already had a belief in myself,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but there was this huge unknown variable of what to expect and you know, having competed before, I knew what to expect in Ohio or I knew what to expect and, um, you know, pageantry in general, like how to smile, how to walk, whatever those little things are. But you taught me how to, like you said, kind of change your way of thinking and make it consistent and clear how you're going to approach a situation. So, you know, I'm not competing anymore, but going into Miss California, I was very level-headed mm-hmm. and very calm. Like this super eerie, calm and present mentality that you taught me, which now I pretty much approach the work daily in the Navy with the same mindset, because I never know what's going to happen. Like currently in a pandemic crisis, and like we still have to recruit and I can choose either to be completely stressed out and fearful or, you know, have that clear mind and, you know, control what I can control. So for anyone listening, that's all to say that her processes work. And you need to dial in as she dives into these topics because they have really, really worked for me, which is amazing. So as you started saying, you know, there's a difference in how women are approaching their mental game. So let's just start with that self-image, self-worth topic that you brought up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if women have negative views or negative self-image, what is the first way that you would attack this
1: problem? I think the first thing to realize is how self-image grows. Uh, because I, I think if you don't know how to improve it, then we can talk all day long about what's broken. But if you don't know how to fix it, it really doesn't matter. Um, you can focus all day long on a problem, but that's not going to provide a solution. And so um, my goal when I'm working with clients is not to present a problem that I can't help them solve. And um, so understanding how self-image grows basically grows and shrinks based on imprinting, what imprints you give it. So the environment will give you something to think about. You will have internal thoughts. Those are all imprints. What someone else tells you is an imprint. The people that you hang around and the way that they talk to you, that those are all imprints. And so your self-image is a sum total of all of the imprints that you've received based on whatever the activity is that you're doing. So the idea is to change what those imprints are. And to recognize that what I say, and I think one of the things that women need to work on in general, and not all women are this way, but based on a lot of the clients that I've worked with, is they're really, really good at being super complimentary of their best friend, but they're not very good at being complimentary of self. So the way that wow. they talk to themselves is typically, well, oh, I'm my own worst critic or, um, oh, I'm really hard on myself. and almost as if that's a good thing. And I'm challenging people to look at it as, wait a minute. If you are being negative to self and you are internalizing these negative things that you see in you, your self-image is shrinking. It's not growing. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we will perform up to the size of our self-image, not our skill level. So you can build skill all day long. You can become the best and the best at something. But if you don't believe you're very good because you've torn yourself down, then you're not going to perform in competition the way that you're capable because your belief is not there. Right. So you have to control thought. You have to control how you talk to
0: you. And do you ever struggle with clients or – that balance of becoming overconfident, you know, like there's people who might be insecure and maybe not have that self-image, but what if, I don't even know if these people would even work with you because they probably <laughs> oh, think not. too highly of themselves, but like, what's that balance of confidence and then cockiness? Like once you've worked with Heather Semlin and you're 10 sessions in, and you're like, oh, I can go take on <laughs> the world now, like, no, take a step back. How do you approach that balance
1: between the two? Well, I think when somebody is concerned that they could become arrogant, they probably won't because a person who worries about that and it's like, gosh, I really don't want to be arrogant. You're probably a super humble person. So you're not going to become arrogant just because you're, you're talking nicely to yourself. Like that's not going to happen. Um, also I tend to think most people who appear to be overconfident actually are just inflating their self-image for other people to see, but internally, a lot of times they're not as confident in themselves. It's, it's just, they're inflating it for others. They want people to believe that they're great, but internally they might not. And, and so I don't think that we can think our way into becoming super, super, um, arrogant, I guess, unless that's our, our goal, but. No, not if you're wanting to be balanced, you're not going to head that direction because you're going to be working on skill. I mean, I think an arrogant person is someone who doesn't really need to train.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head at the beginning. You said that, you know, if you're already worried about being cocky, then you're already you're humble (laughs) by thinking that. The reason why I say that is because, you know, working with you, like you said, kind of the sum of all those parts, those, those influences. I, you know, I recently turned to my mom in Austin and I said, I feel like I've lost a lot of friends every year. And the reason being is I notice those trends, those people who aren't lifting you up or those people who aren't supporting you or those people who really are just consistently negative. And it takes a lot of heart to start taking steps back because you realize it's not good for you. And that is something that I've really tried to address in the years past. And I have told you, you know, you made me realize it's better to have fewer people in your circle who are better for you and uplifting than dozens who are those negative influences. So that was kind of the first step I took toward working with you was assessing those people in my circle, those influences and how they're affecting my self image. Um, But I think the other thing, the reason why I brought up the confidence and the cockiness is because you helped me elevate my confidence. I now have a really positive self image, but sometimes for others who don't understand what it's like to have that positive self image that's perceived as arrogance maybe or cockiness and I work really hard to make sure that I, you know, I I don't think that I'm cocky or arrogant, but others may perceive you that way and you might be able to speak better on this. But I just want to empower listeners to know that having a positive self-image does not equate to cockiness.
1: No, no. It's not to me. I think another thing that that we need to realize when we're trying to build self-image, one thing that's really exciting is what you think of someone actually impacts your self-image. So the way you communicate with someone else or things you say about someone else or think about someone else impacts on your self-image. So in order to really be a, a strong in your self-image, you also have to be very complimentary of others. And I think someone who's super arrogant, they put themselves above other people. And that's not what we're yeah. trying to do. I think that you can recognize your competitor or someone that is you feel as a competitor to you and you can recognize all of their value and all of their beauty and all of their talents. And you can recognize that and you can celebrate with that, with them without hurting you. Um, as long as mm-hmm. you're not elevating them above you, you're recognizing their skills and their talents. But you think it's an, a mental error for you to not recognize your own? And so that's all I'm right. saying is that when you talk to you, Give yourself credit where credit is due. Don't give yourself credit if it's not due. Like, I mean, if you <laughs> really aren't good at something, don't tell yourself you are because you're not going to convince yourself into being talented, okay? Um, but at the same time, the way you communicate with those around you can also build them and build you. So I would say in friendships, mm-hmm. the best way to handle it is number one, yes, I would have a smaller inner circle. If the circle that you have is toxic, then I would kind of make your circle smaller and with not talk, but not with toxic people. But at the same time, I wouldn't avoid interaction with people who are toxic because how do they learn and how do they grow as individuals if you're not in their life? So I, I don't don't know that you abandon people. I think that you adjust who you allow as an influencer for you. Does that make sense? That makes,
0: yeah, because it's still, like, you still have a part to play. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like you still have a way to impact people. I think that there's, I even personally go through this balance of, you know, like I said, bringing people close to me and then still wanting to influence people, but then also trying to do what's best for myself. But, Like you said, you're not – if you abandon people, then how are they going to grow as well or, like, be aware of their actions or how to lift up others? And it's definitely a delicate balance, but like you said, the self-image is a sum of all parts and that those around you are a huge Mm -hmm. part to that and how you treat others. And I love how you said complimenting others also, being complimentary of others affects your self-image because I try to do that, especially within competitions is, you know, I'm not going to be blind to the fact that there are women who are more beautiful or more talented or better spoken, but you helped me instill that positive self-image to be like, but I also, and those things Mm -hmm. as well. And I can compete at that level. So with that, that leads perfectly into the next portion of that, you know, women, female mental game is worrying what others think. You know, how do? You, I, as naturally, women just panic. I mean, I do all the time, and I would consider myself a pretty confident person, but I sometimes dance around like, "Ooh, did I approach that well? Did I say that correctly?" Um, you know, I don't want to hurt her feelings, and it, it can sometimes overwhelm you because you're trying. You don't want to make others upset, but How would you
1: suppose we navigate that worry of what others Well, I think it's just one of the things that affects self-image and it also affects our conscious mind. Like we're not focused on what we need to be focused on if we're worrying about how other people are going to perceive us. I think we should be very intentional with how we deliver information, how we communicate with people, what we do, our actions and things. We should be very intentional. But I don't think that we need to analyze and make assumptions about what someone else is going to think based on something we say or do. And I think that's what happens is we start to worry that we're not going to be perceived the way that we want to be perceived instead of being hopeful that we will. And I think that's probably the the difference is what is your primary thought? Are you thinking about the what ifs? What if someone doesn't like me? What if, oh, maybe... They haven't called me right back. They left me on red. They, you know, I haven't heard back from someone that I left a message for. It's possible they were just busy. Like, maybe it's not that they didn't want to have a communication with you or didn't want to call you. I always like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt because my imagination can go all kinds of places that aren't even real. And so right. instead of worrying that it's worst case scenario... Why don't we just think the best in others and assume, I, I, let's take it to pageant, for, for example, because this is a pretty good like, description, I think. A lot of times when I'm working with girls on interview, for example, they will tell me, well, I knew that that judge didn't like me based on how they looked at me. I'm like, how'd you know that? You're in there for three minutes. That judge could have been poker face because they are analyzing you. They're busy. It doesn't mean that they don't like you. They, you could have been their favorite and they just didn't show you. They didn't give you anything back for you to know that you were their favorite because they were busy. Their job was to analyze you, to determine whether or not you had what it takes to deserve this title that you're going for. So they didn't have the time to make you feel comfortable. That's not their job. So you're expecting to receive some sort of comfort, right? Because that's what you want to know. Oh, this judge liked me. And then you walk out and wondering, oh my goodness, they just didn't, they didn't even like me. I, they didn't like me. No, you have no idea. You have no clue. So it, it stands no purpose to allow those thoughts. They might enter your mind. You just don't have to marinate on them. You might mm-hmm. have a thought, oh, that person might not like me. Do we need to think about that further? How about we just say, you know what? They have no reason not to. And, if right.
0: you, yeah. and if you, you can't change the mind of others if for some reason they decided that they don't. And you can't don't. read their
1: mind. You have no idea. In right. I mean, most cases, they're not even thinking about you at all because they're busy thinking about themselves. So it's kind of silly in some ways to allow thoughts that you cannot be certain that what you're thinking is actual truth to dominate your brain.
0: Ugh, that's tough because we're all like natural warriors. We're just, well, we're natural warriors with an A, but also warriors. <laughs> well, maybe need to be, be a or warrior, like, not a warrior. I, I be a warrior, I, I not think, a warrior. I think one way to look at it is this
1: way. Okay. Can I do something about this potential problem? If yes, great. Let's go take action and do something about this potential problem. If I know for real it is a problem. If, I, if it is outside of my control... There's nothing that I can do about it. Then I need to replace the worry with something else. Maybe it, maybe I pray for that person, right. maybe I, you know, think of the the nice things about that person, maybe I let it go and go do dishes or laundry because the Lord knows that probably needs to get done and not continue to worry. Something that I
0: really struggled with and didn't really overcome until this last year was I was just consistently worried about in the Navy, other people taking me seriously. And I think that developed as an insecurity because of my stature being five, two, because I look very young because I'm also a female. And then I also happen to be a feminine female. So all aspects of what a traditional member of the Navy looks like was not me. And, and then also I proved correctly because I've been challenged every single time, whether it's the Naval Academy or by professors or by sailors or by chiefs or by my commanding officers. And I think now, instead of worrying when I report to a commander, when I'm delivering a brief, like, oh, I hope they take me seriously. I have enough confidence knowing they will, as soon as Mm -hmm. they hear me. Like it's not about the way that I look or it's not about the way that I am. And they might be delivering dirty looks the entire brief, but more than likely once they hear me speak and they, ha- they understand my message, they will buy into what I have to say. So I now don't worry about it because it's not even more, who cares what I look like or who cares if I'm wearing lipstick that day? Who cares if I'm shorter than every single person in the room? None of that matters and you were the person that helped me coin the phrase that power not is in your is not in your stature it's in the delivery of your message mm-hmm. so and that's why I don't worry now anymore and I've become that warrior instead of the warrior I think we
1: need to not make <laughs> assumptions about what someone's gonna think and I think if you yeah. are sold on what you're delivering and you know that you're speaking truth and that what you're saying is coming from a place of I mean Obviously, you want to deliver things in a way that's going to be able to be received. I mean, I would never advocate for someone being so bold as to be rude, right? But at the same time, Mm -hmm. when you know that what you are presenting is important, then someone will probably listen. But if you're worried Mm -hmm. that they're not going to listen to me because I'm 5'2", I'm 5'2", too. So, hey, man.
0: And look <laughs> at you out there killing it in your company. I know. I, don't, so I don't think
1: that we need to anticipate what someone else is going to think when we're not in their brain. We need to choose to right. believe that they're going to like what we're going to present. We need to look at it. When you go into an interview, you want to assume that they're going to like you. Why wouldn't they?
0: And this is – amazing on the topic, it, it rolls right into mm-hmm. comparison. You know, as you also talked about before, comparing yourself with others, comparing yourself to the past, all of those things. I mean, what would you say is the best way to avoid comparison right off well, the comparison's get
1: Comparison's a monster because basically what I see that happens with comparison is the moment that someone starts to compare themselves to someone else, they're taking their focus off of themselves and onto someone else. And they're elevating that person higher than them. Let's say, um, most of the time what I hear is, I hear this a lot in, in pageantry, but I think it happens in everyday life too, where they walk in and, oh my gosh, she's beautiful. Oh, well, I'm not going to win. Right. And there's that, that automatic, she is better than me put myself down, elevate her. Mm -hmm. And that does two things that pulls us out of balance because we're supposed to be balanced, right? We're supposed to be positive. We're supposed to, our thoughts are speaking control by us. We're supposed to be skilled and we're supposed to have a really strong self-image regarding whatever task we're about to do. And if we start to compare ourselves to someone else, number one, our thoughts are not on the right thing. So we are out of whack there. We're unfocused. And then also our self-image starts to shrink because in most cases, we're not comparing ourselves in a way that builds us. It's usually, oh, my gosh, she's probably going to beat me. She's be- more beautiful than me. She has more than I do. Oh, I just want to hate her, right? And it, and it and it shrinks. right? And then it makes it difficult for you to have a conversation with that person when they've done nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. They might be your be future wonderful. best friend if you would get out of your own way. And, and I think that we right. cannot be frustrated, especially in situations where we are Surrounded by people who are similar to us. We can't be frustrated that they're similar to us. We have to be excited and empowered by that. Pageantry attracts like-minded people. It it attracts highly ambitious women who are beautiful, who are confident, who are well-spoken, and probably have a really awesome resume. There's a lot of similarities. And if you get upset that they're all there, that's the wrong way to look at it. Instead, you just look at us. I'm so excited to compete with these amazing women because this is a class to represent. Because if I was chosen, if I was successful in this environment, I'm the one who was chosen. I'm not the only one who's capable. I just have. Right.
0: You're in a sea of people who are capable. How fun is
1: that? You don't want.
0: So if I'm just. Right off the bat, if I'm a woman a walking in to an interview room, whether it's pageant or a job or whomever, and say it's for a, a huge promotion, and you know you're around men and women, and you see that comparison. you see, oh, he's wearing a nicer suit or you know she has this or she printed out a fancier copy mm-hmm. of her resume or whatever it is, what do you recommend? How do you alter those thoughts when you're sitting in that chair, getting ready to be interviewed, and you can't help well, First compare. of all,
1: I would say you need to have a mental program before you walk in there. And that's something that we work on, that we help people develop. What is that thought process before you enter that room? That way, you're much less tempted um, because you'll, your thoughts will be controlled okay. by you because you'll determine what you're going to think about. But hypothetically speaking, let's say we're talking about a person who hasn't been training with us, doesn't know what they should do. In this mm-hmm. scenario, I think the, the best thing to do before this interview begins is to remind yourself of why you're there at the table. So, so instead of looking at someone and making an assumption about them being better than you are, turn that dialogue back onto you. Say, why am I here? What do I bring to the table? What are my successes? And you better prepare that in advance. If you're going into an interview for a promotion or a job and mm-hmm. you don't know why you should get the job, you shouldn't get it because you haven't done the work to determine they should hire you. And if you don't know why they should hire you, they're not going to know. So, so I think all of that work should have been done ahead of time. And so therefore you just go back and you review mentally. No, I have this much experience. I am, I am ready to go. I'm well-spoken. And at the end of the day, I connect really well with people. This is why they should hire me. You need to have that type of thought process. So you're building yourself back up again. But focusing on someone else is, is a mental error that you should avoid. It's so funny you say that response
0: because when I was standing on stage at Miss California two months ago and I was the second to last <laughs> to be called in the top 15. So, well, first of all, I had the confidence. I was like, okay, I, I feel confident I made the finals I my top 15. But then there's a whole different mental ball game when you're standing on stage and you're second to last to answer your on stage question because in California we do a top 15 question. So I have 14 women ahead of me to answer their 2 minute question. <laughs> so do the math. It's like how long am I standing on stage, you know, by myself? 20 minutes. And through that time, I mean, 20 minutes is a long time to be standing there awaiting your question. And you have hundreds of people staring at you and you have five judges in the front row and you have cameras all around you trying to make sure that you still look, your smile is great and your hair is great and you're standing poised, but you're also about to answer your onstage questions. So I kicked in to that exact training that we had talked about with, you know what? I don't know what my question is going to be. They're covering a variety of topics, which I've prepared. And knowing my luck, I'm going to get the one question that we haven't prepared. But I just started thinking about my skills. Everything that, you know, I feel confident I can speak on. The stories I wanted to make sure the judges knew about me. The things that I can bring to the table. I just started really almost going over bullet points in my mind and just stood there and had a natural smile because you never know what you're going to be handed or what sort of question is going to come your way. But I had the absolute confidence that regardless of what it was, I could handle it. And so 20 minutes later, you know, I finally got my question, but I never panicked because that's a long time to attack yourself mentally You could really break yourself down in that moment if you choose to. But thankfully, through working with you, I instead decided to take that moment to pump myself up, self-reflect, and really get excited for the opportunity to speak in front of the panel and speak in front of the crowd and online because we had worked so hard up until that point. So that... All honestly was owed to you because you showed me how to really celebrate mm-hmm. myself in those moments where it's easy to compare I mean you're listening to fourteen other women before you you could it was so easy for me to compare their questions and their responses but to be honest I like you could. A lot of it <laughs> it was just easier but I, I think what you told me to do to be honest um, but instead, I was like, no, this is a moment to celebrate everything that I have done and succeeded in to get to this moment. And that takes a lot to mentally shift into that school of thought. Oh, yeah. I know, you, I know control you would agree results to that. So it's kind
1: of pointless to get caught up in it. You know, you, you can only control right. your participation exactly. in what you're doing. And so while you were waiting, you were controlling your thoughts, you were choosing what you should think about that would be the best for you, even though it was a long time to stand there. And I remember watching because I was on the webcast. I was watching and, um, and I remember thinking, when are they calling Kelly? Come on. And, um, and then I knew <laughs> you were going to be called. I wasn't worried that you weren't going to be called. I'm like, last is good. It's all good. <laughs> you know. And, um, but it was a long time to walk through those questions. And mm. so kudos to you for being able to apply what you learned. That's always so cool, you know? Oh, thanks. That
0: was, that was you for sure. I mean, it's funny to look back now and think about the training you go through in all aspects of your life to get you to those moments, you know, to build that confidence that the baby steps along the way. And, and, you know, as we mentioned before we hopped on the podcast, you mentioned Mm -hmm. personal self-talk. And that's exactly what I did in that moment was that personal self-talk. And I apply it every single day before I let myself get stressed or panicked or worried. I have that moment where I'm like, wait a second. And I reflect and I stop. And this is a demon I think a lot of women are facing is they're not realizing even what they're saying Mm -mm. to themselves every day. So, I mean, what do you recommend on that topic of personal self-talk, how do they well, start to I think turn that around? The
1: one thing that I would say is to recognize whether or not your thoughts are helpful or harmful. You cannot have two thoughts at one time. So the conscious mind can only think of one thing at a time. So that's one of the principles that we teach. And if you're thinking about something that's helpful, you cannot at the same time be thinking about something that's harmful. So I think the first thing that I would say is is to okay. recognize whether or not a thought that you're having about yourself is positive or negative. If it's negative, you want to turn it into something positive or you want to dismiss it. And, and I think the first thing is to recognize mm-hmm. how often you do it and to self-reflect and say, wait a minute, is this the person that I want to be? And one of the things that I, that I tend to clients do is that, um, especially if I'm working with a younger girl, my daughter's 15. And I work with a lot of teenagers and I notice that for some reason, and I don't know if it's social media, I don't know if it, what it is, but these young kids have a tendency to really be damaging in the way that they talk to themselves about themselves. And so I'll ask this question. I'll say, Hey, do you have a best friend? And I'll say, yeah, yeah. It's so-and-so. I'm like, great. Do you talk to your best friend the same way you talk to you? Oh, no, never. If you did, if you did, would you still have that best friend? And they'll say, oh, no, no way. And I said, well, you're you're only guaranteed in life. You're guaranteed to be with one human being your whole entire life. And that's you. And so why would you communicate with you in a way that you know would destroy a friendship? And isn't that powerful? Like, just to think. Man, if I communicate wow. with myself yep. in the way that I would communicate with my best friend, I can build my, my personal relationship with myself. I can grow my self-image. And then I'm valuable to others. See, I feel like when we're super damaged and our self-image is super small, the impact that we can make is smaller. So right. as women, we want to be a positive influence on other people. We're nurturing by nature. And so, so being able to communicate with self in a way that builds us and allows us to see the beauty that we have, we're going to be a much better influence on those around us. And if you're a mom, yes, we all fail. Okay. I'm a mom. I have two kids. My son is, he is off the payroll. He's 23 and, um, he survived my household and which is amazing. I (laughs) mean, And uh, he's, he's a teacher. He's successful. He's doing very well. But there was a long time when I knew I wasn't succeeding as a parent because we're, go- we're going to fail occasionally. But we're going to succeed so much more mm-hmm. than we fail. And instead of focusing on the times, we're like, man, I messed that up. Rejoice in the times when you got it right. I mean, I, I think that's something that we need to continue wow. to do. And it's, it's not hard. It's just it's the habit might be hard to start. But once you start to realize, man, I can control how I communicate with myself and others. And that's going to make my life a little bit better. And that's going to help me reach my goals. That's so cool.
0: That is so powerful. It has me thinking about every. Moment, I talk to myself. I'm like, "Uh, is that as good as I talk to Mariah or to Jackie? (laughs) Or like, I'm sitting, I'm like, is that do I do the same thing? I don't know. But I mean, it's true in that, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'm, you know, am I talented enough to start a podcast? Or am I talented enough to start a business? Or do I have what it takes to lead sailors? And I Now, I'm kind of like, well, I believe that I do. We're going to test it and see how the world responds. But, I mean, at least it started from within, you know, whether my podcast fails or <laughs> my sailors hate me, which I don't think they will or they do. But, you know, I'm happy that at least I
1: believed in myself think- enough.
0: I think you should jump on that. And you know, am I
1: talented enough to start a podcast? Well, let me tell you something. Your present is not your potential. So where you start is not where you finish. And the fact that you have started, the fact that you've decided, hey, I'm going to tackle this and I'm going to start this and I'm going to invest in this way to communicate with people and to reach people and to help people, it's coming from an authentic place. Will you get better at it? Sure. I think you're pretty good now. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. This is fun. But, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm having a good time. Thanks, Heather. And you're, <laughs> you're very easy to talk to. Of course, I know you YouTube is helpful, but you're easy to talk to. I think that people will want to learn what you have to say, and they'll want to hear from the people that you find to be influential in your life. It's really cool. And I, I think that just don't measure yourself based on someone else's finish line at your starting point. So when you're listening to these other podcasts that have been in existence for years and years that you've been listening to and been encouraged by and influenced by, don't make your standard their finish line when you have just started. And
0: that is something I'm really trying to reflect on and be patient with because, you know, for those of you out there who are terrified to do anything new or start anything new there was a time when that business didn't have their first dollar yet, or that influencer had a hundred followers or a blog had zero viewers. Like every single Google had no search engine, like everything had to start somewhere. And I think like you have said several, several times it's, completely a learning process, but you're becoming better every time you do something, whether you flop and it fails and it's, you know, not the most successful thing, but you've learned something about yourself along the way. And that doesn't matter who one you are.
1: Here for you. So because, because you, yes. you said yes. something that I love made me. Ting.
0: <laughs> By the way, I feel as though everything that you say <laughs> should be on like a bumper sticker or a mug or like a t-shirt of some kind. Cause I'm taking notes over here as diligently as I can. And I'm like circling so and cool. underlining and I'm like, wow, okay, so, that should really so be this on not take sticker somewhere. For so go about, ahead. Okay.
1: <laughs> but, but my father, one of the, one of the okay. words that we talk about, that we, we teach about is called attainment. And to us attainment, equals becoming plus accomplishment. Okay. So accomplishment's easy to measure. All right. It's, it's whether or not you win, you know, winner, first runner up, second runner up, first place, second place, third place, gold, silver, bronze, right? Accomplishment is what our, what we value. We tend to value a lot in this country, but becoming is who we become in the process. Okay. Now attainment is a combination of Mm -hmm. two. And the interesting thing is that when you focus on becoming, accomplishment follows. So, so the idea is you want to focus on who do you need to become in order to make whatever this goal is, this might be the future call or something, but in order for that accomplishment to happen, who do you need to become? And that needs to be a focus. And I think a lot of times people are focused so much on their goals, so much on their goals, so much on their goals, but they don't sit back and go, wait a minute, why don't I have it now? My dad has a whole 10-step goal-setting process in his book with putting in mind. My brother has a book called Attainment. These tools are there to, to help and guide people to be wow. able to become their best self to pursue whatever it is that they want to do. That's exciting stuff.
0: It is exciting stuff. I'm just, ugh. I I tell you, there's just something about talking with you that ignites <laughs> something in my soul, and I think so many others. That's why you get the response that you do, because you get it. You you know the the tools and the resources that you and your family have developed. It's practical to every single one of us, and it's not just about sports or competitions or you know, something fancy at the finish line. It's how you're approaching the way that you look at yourself every single day
1: and how that's In going fact, to influence every area you know, of your interesting life. You you say that because my 100%. favorite product of – every product that we have, my favorite one is Freedom Flight. My dad's book, Freedom Flight, which if you have not read it, I'll send you one. Um, yeah. I haven't, so I'm going to add it to I'll my list for the quarantine of it so that you can listen right away. But, um, they, when I first started working with my father, um, I don't know, I grew up and in his household, but that doesn't mean I listened to what he said. Right. Cause I was a teenage girl and what's dad know. And right. Everybody's Classic. father's an Olympic mm-hmm. champion in my head, which is so wrong. And, um, I remember I first started working for him and, it's because his book with winning in mind changed my perception of my work environment. And so when I lost my job, the company I was working for was going under, I chose to work for my family. It wasn't something that I grew up knowing I would work for my dad. I didn't even realize what he did. And then when I was um, in a crossroads in life, I said, no, I want to work for the man who wrote the book with winning in mind. And so the first thing that I got to experience in the first month or so that I worked for him was he was speaking at Eagle University. It was Eagle U. It's like a leadership camp for teens. It's awesome by the way. So if you know anybody who who needs to put their children in a leadership camp in the summertime, it's really great. And my dad was one of their key speakers and he was sharing this freedom flight story and I'd never really heard it um, or I'd never listened to it. I don't know. He could have shared with me when I was a kid and I didn't pay attention, but I sat on the back road and I'm watching him share this story. And there are about 200 kids, teenagers to mid 20s. And there's not a dry eye in the house by the time he gets through with the story. Everybody's emotional. It's impacting this entire group of teenagers, which is just crazy to me. And he gets a standing ovation at the end of his talk. And then there is a line out the door of kids who just want to shake his hand to say thank you for sharing. And at the time, he didn't have it in a book form. And I asked him, I'm like, what is your problem? We could have sold a book to every single one of these people. And, um, and it took him a while to put it into print. But it is an incredible story. It's kind of a fable to an extent. I mean, it, the, the story itself, he took some liberties, and it's not 100% factual. It's ba- loosely based on fact, right? But the, the imprinting that allows you to do and the things that you learn through it are so beneficial, especially in a time like we're in now when so much is uncertain, when the only thing we can really control is our thoughts, Mm -hmm. because we don't know what's happening tomorrow. And it is an incredible read. Exactly. It's it's like take an hour and um, freedom flight, the origins of mental power. It's awesome. I will send it to you.
0: Wow. That is awesome. And that's Mm -hmm. so applicable exactly to what's going on because this is such a mental battle and you know, we're, It's not about, oh, who's going to be the strongest in the pack? Like it's, no, we're all facing different challenges through our current environment. And, you know, hopefully, even if, you know, you are struggling mentally that you're able to apply Mm -hmm. some of these tools to come out stronger and no one's perfect. No one has the perfect mental balance. (laughs) Actually, that rolls perfectly into my final question. Miss Heather Sumlin, as we get ready to wrap up here. With our last few minutes, what and
1: how do you feel mental Mm -hmm. management is most misunderstood? Well, there's a couple things come to mind. First thing that comes to mind is because we work in the mental game specifically with sports, we work with a lot of athletes, people make an assumption that we are sports psychologists. None of us have a psychology degree. And so I think that that is a misconception. We are this study of winners, and my father and my my brother Troy actually also has a world championship title, 12 national titles, just an incredible rifle shooter as well, used it personally to perform at elite levels. And so what we teach is what was developed by winners for winners, if that makes sense. So that's one misconception that we get, because we're not based and rooted in psychology, and so I just always want to dispel that. Um, The other thing that comes to mind, too, is that you you need to wait especially in sport this happens you need to wait to start the mental game like you don't need it until you have a high mastery of skill but but that's not true because if you start the mm-hmm. mental game earlier then you can keep from developing bad mental habits and so then you don't have to unlearn certain things so if your children for example are involved in sports even at at a young age, you can go ahead and start developing their mental game. Now, my dad wrote, um, parenting champions specifically for parents of competitive kids and our kids are pretty much competing in almost anything. And so really starting on the mental game early and not waiting until you're at an elite level technically to apply. I I think that's also misunderstood. And I think another thing, just one more, (laughs) there are some misconceptions, um, that we're kind of misunderstood sometimes. There's a lot so of misconceptions. The other thing that comes to mind is that <laughs> you can't learn it, that you either have mental control or you don't. And we are living proof. My father started this company in 1977. So we have been in business for a wow. very long time. The majority of my life, my father has been teaching this. He's worked with a lot of incredible people. He's worked with the FBI and the Navy SEALs and the Secret Service and people like that. I remember the Secret Service like being at my house, training with my dad when I was a kid. He's worked with um, so Olympians true. and world champions, PGA Tour players, just a wide variety of people. I just happen to work with women who want to be better at whatever it is they're doing. Um, but my, my dad and my brothers have worked with some incredible people who – use our system to be elite in their sport but it's not just for those who are elite it's for anyone anyone who just wants to get better be better do better it's pretty remarkable
0: right wow that i didn't know you that guys i've wasn't. learned a ton through this podcast already <laughs> we've been and focusing on fat fat for me. months <laughs> whoa that is That's true. I know, which Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to life than pageants, that's for sure. But I still am so grateful for the tools and the resources I gained in pageantry. You know, I'm not over here trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm definitely going to pat myself on the back because I feel like I did pageants right. Like I connected with the right people. I worked with the right people. I focused on the right things. I focused on just like you said, like making myself – better my best, my thought my self-image my self-worth like all of that has influenced every area of my life and I'm not competing anymore so that helps tremendously as I move forward because I will never ever ever mm-hmm. wear my pageant gowns again unless you know there's some really fancy occasion like the Oscars TBD but I will use these skills every single day And I do every single day. So, Heather, I'm so grateful for you. It's the only way we can hug right (laughs) now. I'm hugging my microphone. (laughs) Yes, I know it's true. Six feet apart. But um, but real quick, before we get off, you know, just please share. How can people
1: find you? How do they connect? So our website. We have to mentalmanagement.com. We'll give you kind of our corporate site and then mentalmanagementstore.com if you're interested in any of the books and things like that. And then to reach me directly, you can just email me at heather@mentalmanagement.com, And our, our phone number in our office might okay. be helpful, although right now we're kind of not in essential business, so no one's there. But it's um, 972-899-9640. And again, my email is heather at mentalmanagement.com. Website is mentalmanagement.com or mental management store. And all the books are on Kindle too. So if you're a Kindle reader and you want to get something quick, like that's a, that's also an opportunity.
0: That is awesome. Oh, uh, well, I am I'm super, on Instagram. Instagram. You know, I'm, you Instagram. I need to learn
1: this whole social media thing. I'm telling you, I think I it's know. just Heather that's Sumlin, why I'm pushing people it? your way. I think that's all it is. Heather Sumlin, I don't even think that they're, I guess I could. He oh, gosh, Heather just do Heather Sumlin, and Sumlin and Heather because Sumlin I, I used my, I went ahead and decided <laughs> just to accept everyone because one day someone told me, hey, you shouldn't be private. You should be public. And I'm like, yeah, but I have pictures of my kid on there. And then I decided, well, oh, well, fine. I just flipped the switch to be public. And I took a lot of the personal pictures off. So I'm just really running the one account. And you'll you'll notice if you go to mental do the mental um, there's a okay. mental dot management one. I think it's mental dot management or mental management. That one will be more active soon, but that's for the company itself. For me, just follow Heather Sumlin. Okay.
0: Heather Sumlin. Well, thank you so much, Heather. I'm so grateful for you and I've got to end with this quote you said, your present is not your potential. That is so <laughs> amazing. I need to get that on a cup tomorrow. But I'm grateful for you. Keep You're doing amazing welcome. things, Heather. I'm Thank you so much for being on the show. Future. Thank you. Everyone else, keep tuning in. Hope you walked away with these amazing tips on how to engage and how to practice amazing mental management um tune into next week can't wait to hey you Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you have 10 seconds of your time, please take time to go to Apple or Spotify and rate my podcast. 10 seconds of your time means the absolute world to me. Also, you can follow me and all of my upcoming episodes on my Instagram at misunderstood.podcast and follow me on at Kelly Renee Hall for any updates. Thanks so much for your support, guys. Keep tuning in on Misunderstood.